invite you to turn to James chapter 3. We read verses 1 through 12, the power of the tongue. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce what is fresh. Let's pray. Father, the tongue is a small member of our bodies. And yet it is very powerful. The book of Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our, our hearts today to your word and help us to be people that use our mouths to bless you, to encourage one another, to build each other up. And may you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you accomplish in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Communication experts tell us that the average person speaks enough to fill 20 single-spaced typewritten pages every day. I would assume some less, and I would assume some even more than that. This means that we crank out enough words to fill two books of 300 pages every month, 24 books every year, and 1,200 books in 50 years of speaking. Isn't that amazing? How would you like it if everything you said throughout your life was published in a book so everyone could read it? Is there anyone here that would say, Amen to that, brother? (laughs) 
I don't think so. Maybe that says something about how we use our tongue, huh? Our text begins with a clear warning about words. It's a warning that we all need to hear, but it is especially a warning for people like me. Notice what James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, when I read a verse like that, it almost makes me want to stock shelves at Walmart on the night shift, where I wouldn't have to speak to anybody. It almost makes me want to do that, but I know that God has called me to something else. But it's a sober thought, isn't it, that those who teach incure a stricter judgment. And he tells us why in verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways, right? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. In other words, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body because there is nothing that is more difficult to control than the tongue. Would you agree? It is very easy for our mouths to get out of control. And this whole passage really, really hits us right in the face, doesn't it? About how we use our mouths. James tells us three things about the power of the tongue. First of all, the tongue has the power to direct. We are well aware, I think, of the power of the tongue in our world today. But when James wrote this epistle, the power of the tongue, or the power of the spoken word, was probably greater. Uh, Douglas Moo makes this comment. He says, teachers played a prominent role in the life of the early church. Somewhat comparable to the Jewish rabbi, the teacher in the early church was entrusted with the crucial task of transmitting Christian doctrine. A certain authority and prestige naturally adhered to the teaching ministry. And then he says, particularly was this so in a society where few people could read. So if if few people can read, then the spoken word of a teacher, could we say probably carried more weight in those days than, than maybe even today? Powerful influence of teaching. James gives us a couple of illustrations of the power of the tongue to direct. The first one is a bit in the mouth of a horse. Verse 3, he says, Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct our, their entire body as well. Now if you are brave enough to ride a horse, and I say that with all honesty, if you're brave enough to ride a horse, you know how powerful that animal is. And that struck me the last time I rode a horse, which... I will tell you, I believe, is the final time that I ride a horse. The horse that I was riding was absolutely massive. 
We went as a family, and so they looked at my kids and my wife, and they said, we know who to put on the fat horse. Now, that was me. It seemed like he was about six feet wide, and when I got off, I thought, I am never going to walk again. And if I walk again, I'm never going to ride a horse again. And when I got off, I was so thankful that that horse had a bit and bridle, because... At least I could somewhat control where that horse was going, because if I could not control it at all, that would have been a scary thing. Just that little bit can direct a big horse. By the way, his name was Tim, so I don't really like the name Tim after after that day. The second illustration is a rudder on a ship. Verse 4, look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. This illustration is probably more amazing than the horse because think how big a ship is. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, in Paul's day, they weren't that big. Well, They were, because when Paul was riding on this ship to Rome, we're told in Acts chapter 27, verse 37, that that ship held 276 people. Okay, That's a big boat, right? Not as large as the ships of our day, but still that was a very large boat, and yet a very small rudder directed it where the pilot wanted it to go. And so these two illustrations that James gives us are telling us that the tongue is is very small in comparison to any part of our body, and yet it can direct in some powerful ways. Think of it. The tongue can provide healing where there is hurt. The tongue can provide wisdom where there's lack of understanding. The tongue can provide encouragement where there's despair. And when the tongue is under control, it can bring great, great blessing. Have you experienced that in your life where you needed some direction, you needed some guidance, you needed some encouragement, and someone had the right word at the right time to give you some direction? That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? A wonderful thing. As a young man, Dr. Larry Crabb struggled to speak in front of people. and He he felt humiliated in front of a high school assembly. And then he was praying in church and got his words all mixed up. And he resolved that he would never speak in public again. On the way out of church, he was stopped by an older man who gave him just what he needed to hear. He said, Larry, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I am behind you 1,000%. Now, I don't know how you get 1,000%, but what was he saying? He said, I'm, I support you, Larry. And he said that's exactly what, what he needed to hear. The power of the tongue to direct in a positive way. Oh, God, help us to, to be those kinds of, of people who, who are encouragers. People who lift others up. People who provide that, that needed word at the, at the right time. The second thing James says, the tongue has the power not only to direct, but the tongue has the power to destroy. And he gives two examples there as well. The first example is the, the, the power of the tongue to destroy 
like fire. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And then verse 6, he said, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Those are strong words, aren't they? Very strong words. I grew up in a city that was destroyed by fire in 1918. The fire devastated much of western Carleton County, especially the cities of Moose Lake, Cloquet, and Kettle River. It was the worst natural disaster in Minnesota history. 453 people died. 52,000 people were injured or displaced. 38 communities were destroyed. 250,000 acres were burned. Cloquet was known, my hometown, the city of wood industries. And along the St. Louis River, there were stacks and stacks and stacks of, of wood for the paper mill and the match mill and... USG, I mean, there, there was a lot of wood there. And they say that millions of board feet of lumber were burned. Imagine that, millions of board feet of lumber. They say there were boards that were literally flying through the air like torches. And the wind that, that was created by that uh, fire was moving faster than the trains that were trying to get people out of the city. You see pictures of that. There's documentaries on that. I knew people from the congregation I grew up that had been alive during the time of the fire. People still talk about it. The 1918 fire. Guess how it started? It started from a spark of a train... At milepost 62, north of town. It has swept through the city just like nothing. People were, were, were trying to find rivers and lakes to, to uh, survive. 453 people died. James says that's how the tongue is. It is such a small part of our bodies, but think of the destruction that comes into the lives of others through a tongue that is out of control. We could give you many examples of what happens when a tongue is out of control. R. Kent Hughes says those who misuse the tongue are guilty of spiritual arson. Wow, what a way to put it. Spiritual arson. The second illustration he gives is that the tongue can destroy like poison. In verse 7 he says, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. 
When you watch a circus, I don't know how many circuses there are today, but think of how the, the, the trainers have been able to train things like uh, lions and tigers. I've always been amazed at that. How, how do you dare uh, even be near those animals? But over the process of time, they have been able to even uh, train a, a lion or, or a tiger. So you'd think that something as small as the tongue could eventually be tamed, right? It's only just, I don't know, how long and how wide and how much does it weigh. It's not, it's not that big. But James says it, it can't be tamed, at least not by any human effort. Verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison, like a poisonous snake. Its bite can kill. And what's interesting about these two illustrations that James gives is that both of them point to Satan. Both of them point to the devil. In verse 6, he says that the tongue is set on fire by hell. And then in verse 8, he describes it as spreading poison, much like a serpent, one of the biblical pictures of Satan. And so when we use our tongues for evil, what are we doing? We are following the example of the evil one, and we are bringing a little bit of hell to earth. Think of it. I read a story about a family that lived in a small town in North Dakota. The mother had not been well since the birth of their second baby, and And yet everybody knew that there was a family where husband and wife and mom and dad and kids loved each other. Then one day a village gossip whispered that this husband had been unfaithful to his wife, a story that was completely false. And eventually the mother heard the story and it was more than she could bear. She took the lives of her two children and then her own. A few weeks later, it became clear that her husband was innocent. But the damage was done, wasn't it? It can kill the use of the tongue. And unless we think that this is just a problem with those who don't know the Lord, look at what James says to believers about the tongue. He says in verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, both blessing and cursing, my brethren, brothers, these things ought not to be this way. One author says, evidently James had observed a contradictory phenomenon in his church. Jewish Christians were perpetuating the beautiful old Hebrew custom saying, Blessed be He after each utterance of God's name, so that their worship times were continually punctuated by choruses of praise. Yet these same people, with the blessing still on their lips, would sometimes after leaving worship actually curse someone who had angered them. This was a shameful sin, this author writes, and James would not tolerate it. He says, we bless our Lord and Father, and then we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. In other words, cursing those who have been made in the likeness of God is 
is a form of cursing him. <laughs> really, isn't it? I remember being at a ball game one time, and I was sitting by this guy, and his son was out playing, and he was a little chunkier type of boy. And someone sitting on the other side said, Who is that fat kid out there? What do you think that father thought? And so when we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God, God says, I've made them in my image. They are my creation. And you're going to curse what, what I have made. The third thing we learn about the tongue, the, the tongue has the power to reveal. The power to reveal. Did you know that you can learn something about your physical health by looking at your tongue? I was reading about that in, on the, online, that there are certain things that your tongue would show that you've got some kind of health issue. And so the same is really true spiritually, is that the way that we speak says something about our spiritual health. It says something about what is in our heart, doesn't it? Notice how James explains this, a series of questions that really demand a negative answer. Verse 11, he says, Does a fountain send out from the same opening fresh and bitter water? What's the answer? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? No. Or a vine produce figs? No. Nor can salt water produce fresh. And so the obvious point that James is making is that fountains and trees always produce what is consistent with their nature. And as we apply this to the tongue, then we see that the tongue really isn't the root problem, is it? There's something deeper, something much deeper than that. And that is the heart. Didn't Jesus say that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So the way that you talk reveals who you are, doesn't it? Is that what Jesus is saying? I was uh, at the store one day buying some, some uh, tempered glass to put in our porch. And I walked into the store, and, it, and as soon as the lady behind the counter started speaking... I said, you are a Finlander, aren't you? <laughs> How bold to say that, but I did. And she said, yep, yep, yes I am. And she said, we came from Canada and moved to this country. And so we had a little, little talk about being Finlanders. I knew, I could tell right away who she was because of the way she spoke. And... Our speech has a way of revealing who we are, what's, what's in our heart. I heard about a professing Christian who got angry on the job and 
spoke some words of cursing and embarrassed. He turned to his partner and he said, I don't know why I said that. It's really not in me. And his partner wisely said, it had to be in you or it wouldn't have come out of you. <laughs> right? Oh, I don't know where that came from. Well, it's obvious where it came from. <laughs> came from within. That points to the need for a changed heart, doesn't it? You could cut your tongue off, and that would not solve the problem. The issue is much deeper than that. This reminds me of two women who were discussing the uh, diet craze culture we live in. One of them said, I'm not as concerned about what goes into my mouth as I am about what comes out of my mouth. And maybe that would make a... A difference in our culture today, huh? If we had the same concern, we might be a little fatter, but maybe we'd be a little bit kinder with the way that we speak. Is it hopeless? I mean, you you look at all that James has said here, and it's like, whoa, we're in trouble. No one can tame the tongue. But James doesn't say no one can tame the tongue. No, no human being can tame the tongue. It doesn't mean that God can't tame the tongue. Augustine once said, James does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity and the help and the grace of God. Isn't that true? When our tongues are being used uh, to encourage people and to give praise to God, that's an evidence of God's work. Because there's no way that we and ourselves are going to tame this tongue of ours. It takes the the work of God. There's a powerful illustration of that in the life of Isaiah. Remember the vision that Isaiah had of God and In Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and and, and the the temple was filling with smoke. And and then there there were these seraphim that were, were coming and singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Do you remember what was the result for Isaiah? He said, woe is me. For I am ruined. And he said, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the Lord in all his glory, and it caused him to see his sin in all its ugliness. Because the light of the Lord's holy presence has a way of exposing us for what we really are. It reveals to us our sin and our need for a Savior. And for Isaiah, the thing that God revealed to him was the way he spoke. I'm a man of unclean lips. But Isaiah also heard those heavenly beings who were using their mouths to honor the Lord, their mouths to praise the Lord. And it it must have had a, a powerful impact upon him. 
Because after the Lord cleansed Isaiah, he began to use his mouth to honor the Lord. Verse 6 of Isaiah 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And then Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? You know the answer. He said, Lord, here am I. Send me. So before Isaiah met the Lord, his tongue revealed his, his sinful heart. But after he met the Lord, his tongue revealed a heart that had been changed. A life that had been transformed. And it was evident in using his mouth as a prophet of God to proclaim his holy word. So what does your tongue reveal about you today? You could look in the mirror and take a look at your tongue, but that's not what I'm saying. What, what is, what is your, your words, your, your speech, the way you talk? What does that say about you? Does it reveal a heart that is cleansed and, and surrendered to Jesus? Because you encourage others, you lift up others, you are proclaiming God's glory and greatness? Or does it reveal a heart? That needs to be changed. If your heart needs to be changed, there's only one way that's going to happen. And that is when you experience the forgiveness that Isaiah experienced. Where God cleansed him and forgave him and touched his lips and began to use him then as his spokesman to proclaim from his mouth the word of God. I find it interesting how he was cleansed. That seraphim took a tongue and grabbed a burning coal from the altar. Why the altar? The altar is the place of sacrifice, right? The altar is the place of redemption, the place of forgiveness. And I would suggest to you that this is a picture of Jesus, where cleansing comes, forgiveness comes, because Jesus has laid his life down on the altar of sacrifice for you and me. It always comes back to Jesus, isn't it? When it comes to forgiveness, salvation, a change in our lives, it always comes back. To Jesus. And that's what we need today. I would hope you don't walk out of here and say, I am determined to use my tongue in a way that pleases God. But rather, Lord, cleanse me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, touch my lips like you touched the lips of Isaiah. And help me to use my mouth, to use my words. To be an encouragement, to build others up, to point them to Jesus, to praise his name, to honor and to glorify him. That's why we've been given a mouth, that we might encourage one another, that we might praise the Lord. May God enable us by his grace and mercy to use our tongues in a way that honors 
and glorifies him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for those times when we have said things that have not been helpful, spoken words that tear others down, spoken words that have not been an encouragement to our brothers and sisters. Help us to use our mouths, Lord, to proclaim the truth of your word and to praise your glorious and holy name. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who can change the heart. Do that in our midst today, that it might be seen in how we act and how we think and how we speak. And may you receive all the glory and the praise, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.